Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big Strong Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Follow hashtag Big Strong Yes on Twitter for announcements and discussion. On Twitter, follow me at Lottie Diane Rich and Dr. Jones at Dr. Kelly Jones. And you can also email us, for those of you who don't want to necessarily always have this discussion in public on the, on the <laughs> tweeters, you can email us at bsy at chipperish.com. If you're a Patreon supporter, we have a Big Strong Yes chat room on Discord where we both hang out and answer questions and give support. It's an intimate, private to the Patreon supporter chat room, and you can go over 140 characters. Join us at patreon.com slash chipperish. Yes, the reading we will be discussing today is Rising Strong Chapter 2, Civilization Stops at the Waterline, and Chapter 3, Owning Our Stories. And next week's reading is Rising Strong Chapter 4, The Reckoning. So I wanted to start this week with a big shout out to Shonda Rhimes. Yay! Um, we got to this part in, in chapter three and my brain just kind of went, holy shit. Um, <laughs> when I heard that Dr. Brown actually interviewed Shonda Rhimes for the research for Rising Strong. And I did not remember this from the first I time I read the book. So the connection among these three books is right here. Um, and earlier in the book, Dr. Brown talked about Elizabeth Gilbert. So I think my subconscious brain noticed, mm -hmm. and maybe that's why I read Big Magic and Year of Yes right after reading Rising Strong for the first time. So hello, Magical Universe. <laughs> these, these connections are just amazing. I know. I mean, it obviously shows that we were meant to do these three books, you know, in this podcast. But yeah, it is really interesting. When she mentioned Shonda Rhimes, I was like, wow, because I hadn't really put that together either. You know, not until yeah. now when we're going through in this context of Big Strong Yes, of these three books and these three women, you know, and their work all together in, in one happy package or one <laughs> really challenging package. But, you know, yeah. whatever. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really cool. I love that they're all three connected. And I think that this contributes to my theory that they're drinking mimosas together somewhere on a tropical island. And, and I like that. I love that theory. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call it the mimosa theory. The mimosa gonna theory, be awesome. right? <laughs> <laughs> so we had homework from last week. Lonnie, mm -hmm. how'd it go? Um, it went pretty good. I was supposed to get a journal and write crappy things in it. And, uh, and so I did, I got, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not like a, a fancy, beautiful journal, but I actually really love it. It's, it's, um, it's kind of like a, a moleskin journal. Is it moleskin? Moleskin? Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce yeah, that. Moleskin. But anyway, that's right. Moleskin. Um, yep. and I use it for the same way as I did my, my journal from last year. I use it for my notes when I'm working. It's also my mouse pad. It's like, you know, everything I do, but I'm putting, I'm putting, you know shitty first draft stuff into it and awesome. uh and so that's that's going in there as well um but one of the things that I did um that I wasn't expecting to do was I got a new camera for my studio because I do the uh the YouTube work and everything for Chipperish and um and so I got a new camera and I wanted to test it out and I I made a shitty first draft video like, yeah, know, I made yeah, a video where yep. I just 
and you're the only person who's seen it. You know, some of these videos, <laughs> you're the only person who's ever going to see them. Um, yep. But I made this video and I spoke into it about what I was experiencing at the time, which was, you know, a whole big dust up on Twitter. And uh, and I just, you know, talked into it and I sort of had this expression. And there's something about that performative element of, mm-hmm. of expression that, again, mm-hmm. like when I when I write in the journal just for me, <laughs> I never... Right. I never push myself, I think, to get to the the big stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I write in it and I'm like, well, this sucks and that sucks and I hate everything and poop. You know, like that's my whole thing, right? right. And, um, and and when I'm doing something that um, that is performative and especially that like when I made this shitty first draft video, I was actually going to put it out publicly and then I decided not to because it's a shitty first draft, you know? That's right. Um, and uh, so I, I don't know, like it's, it's, there's something about feeling like I'm reaching out to an audience. Mm-hmm. Which is so yeah. weird for me, you yeah. know, because I don't typically like I, I, I don't I don't feel like, you know, hey, look at me like that's what the audience is about. But the audience is about like connecting genuinely with other people, right. um, you know, for me. And so it was it's just kind of it was weird, but it was it was effective and, and unexpected. So that was kind of mm-hmm. that was kind of fun. Plus, after you do the video, you have to edit it. So you have right. to go through this process of editing and editing the work, um, the stuff that I write, I think, is an important process for me in just processing what I've done. Mm-hmm. And in a journal, when I'm just scratching stuff down, I don't go back and edit it. It's just there. And I think there's a value to that, but there's something in the editing that, that solidifies everything for me. So I kind of like that too. So I think we've learned a couple things through your process of shitty mm-hmm. first drafts. One is it doesn't have to be written. And I think mm-hmm. that that may help a lot of people. We've heard from folks um, in discord on the Patreon chat, and we've heard from folks on Twitter that say, you know, I like the idea of a shitty first draft, but I don't want to write. I don't want to mm-hmm. journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's really helpful to realize it doesn't have to be written. You yeah. know, your shitty first draft might be a video. It might be mm-hmm. recording yourself, you know, ranting in the car on a commute on the way home. Oh, sure. That one yeah, of just us put your voice recorder have on and talk done. <laughs> You know? <laughs> is, this, is this a confession, uh, Dr. Jones? <laughs> yeah, maybe a little too much cussing to even even for this podcast. But I think it's 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 about getting toxicity out and so you know maybe your first shitty first draft is throwing paint on a canvas and just smashing Mm -hmm. it in with a brush I don't I think it doesn't matter so kind of reshaping that idea of what a shitty first draft is supposed to look like right is really helpful and doing what actually works for you but then I think the the second rule of that is absolutely honoring the fact that a shitty first draft is not for public consumption yes you know, mm-hmm. that should only go to you and then maybe one trusted party who mm-hmm. isn't even reading for content. That person's yeah. only job is to say, hey, I'm really glad you got this out. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And then you either delete it, you know, archive it, burn it, throw it away, mm-hmm. whatever. It doesn't matter because you've yeah. gotten it out of your system. Right. It's it's served its purpose. Right. So how did you feel after like you, I mean, so you did a lot of work, like you edited this video, you produced this thing yeah. and, and it was only, it, it wasn't to go out into the world. And that's, yeah. that's challenging for you because you, you know, you're used to producing your work. Yeah. So how yeah. did you feel at the end of that process? Oh, I felt a little frustrated because I wasn't putting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the long run, after a couple mm-hmm. of days, Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that had I put it out, I think I might have regretted it. I mean, I didn't say anything, I didn't say anything bad in it, like yeah. really bad. It's just that I was sharing, I think, a little more deeply 
mm-hmm. than I really necessarily wanted to, especially at that point. I think that, that what I was sharing would have put more flame on a fire I was really happy to see go out. Yeah. Um, and I think when it comes right down to it, that was what I wanted more than to express this thing was to see to see everybody kind of move on from the thing that was happening and, and get back to the work. Right. You know, let's do the work. Let's do the mm-hmm. thing. And uh, and that's kind of that was actually the theme of of the, the shitty first draft was let's right. just let's get back to the work. Let's get mm-hmm. back to the work. Let's do mm-hmm. this thing, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, it started with the same uh, expression that I'd used actually in a tweet where I said all I wanted to do was watch my stories, say smart shit and drink my wine. So it kind of started with that sentiment. But mm-hmm. I think that in the end, if what I really wanted was for us to all move on from this and get back to the work, mm-hmm. sharing it would have been, you know, antithetical to that. So yeah. that ended up being good. It's a little frustrating to like mm-hmm. do all that work and then not have it go anywhere. But at the same time, I think there's a value in the idea of I'm doing something for me. Yeah, I think you so know? too. And I think it's also important to note that it a bit a uh, a shitty first draft is not a magic antidote. Mm-hmm. So if you make one, if you write one, if you pour the the words out, if you get it out of your system, and you don't feel a hundred percent better, you know, like you haven't magically turned into Pollyanna at the end of that shitty yeah. first draft, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that's normal. You know, it's it's right. not a um, it's not a quick fix. It's not a it's not a silver bullet. But it's a process, and over mm-hmm. time, and over repeating that process. I think that you build up feeling better. Like it becomes a healing process that you repeat over and over and over again. And you get more out of it the more you do it. Mm -hmm. You know, one shitty first draft, it ain't going to heal you. That's right. (laughs) right. One shitty first draft. This is a long, long, arduous process. Right. (laughs) All right. So how did you do with your homework? Okay. So um, I was challenged to make a collage. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically about a story idea. And I sat down to make a collage and realized I couldn't remember a single damn story idea, which was <laughs> hilarious. So um, I decided to make one about inspiration instead. So I just oh, pulled visuals of things that make me feel creative and make me mm-hmm. want to write. So I ended up with this incredibly messy <laughs> kind of uh, collage with teacups and coffee mugs and candles Aww. and a- you know, essential oils and pens and journals and pretty flowers and a vase and a desk that looks far prettier than my real desk. Um, <laughs> they, they always do. Yeah, but I know, right? But I think, because, um, you know, that the Pinterest style of everything mm-hmm. beautiful and coordinating and matching with the, the lovely little dust motes floating on the sun oh, yeah. coming down to shine mm-hmm. on your, that is not my desk, y'all. <laughs> That is not my desk. But Um, I love, though, that you chose all of these things that really speak to environment. Because I think environment is one of the things that we tend to, you know, to underestimate the value and the importance of having the pretty things, of making a space for yourself that is nice and inviting. And that speaks specifically to the things that you want, that you like, that you enjoy, you know? So I find it really interesting that you don't have that environment, but that's what you found inspiring for the, for the collage. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting to realize that when I didn't give myself a filter, like those were the images that I pulled. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I now I'm in kind of reckoning, I guess, with 
that yeah. Virginia Woolf idea of needing a room of one's own, mm-hmm. um, not just to, to write, but, but to have that visual space that, that makes me feel creative. But I think it's, um, it, it wasn't just creative. It was a peaceful kind of creative. It was like yeah. a calm creative space um, that I realized the older I get, the less I function well in chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that I need that space. And so it may be that I really need to, to give myself, I don't know, permission or mm-hmm. time or support <laughs> or whatever, yeah. but to build a space in which I want to do creative work. And so that was a good aha, mm-hmm. you know? No, I like yeah. that. I think that mm-hmm. that's really, that's really yeah. good and really valuable. Yeah. So you did this on your computer, right? I did. I made a big digital one, um, because mm-hmm. I couldn't find, like, I couldn't find any magazines. Um, uh-huh. and I think it would be more powerful as a, as a physical craft. And then I, I realized I was probably overthinking it because if only there was some way to transmit images from one's computer <laughs> to paper, you know, if <laughs> like I could have just printed this shit out and cut right. it out and glued it on the page. Um, but I, I found myself then worried about making the page itself look pretty, mm-hmm. you know, which is why I don't scrapbook because I don't, I have the visual intelligence of, you know, like a, a three-year-old. Um, I just don't have right. the ability to make things look pretty. But it's not about the final product. You know, again, yeah. it's about the experience mm-hmm. of doing it. It doesn't have to be pretty. Right. And, you know, that's part of the thing that um, that with my discovery class where I encourage people to collage, right? Mm-hmm. You know, which is which is part of where this came from, right? Um, that, you know, the examples I would always use were from Jenny Cruzy. And Jenny Cruzy, like, has, you know, her PhD in, like, art you know yeah. that was what yeah. she did her she collages are amazing and her collages they, are ridiculous there's no way i could she ever. builds out she constructs like <laughs> yeah. 3d foam core we did dogs and goddesses together and i swear to god she built a step temple like oh a God. literal 3D step temple that, that went into the collage and everything. And, and, you know, so I show those as examples and everybody's like, well, I can't do that. And I'm like, nobody but Jen Cruzy can do that. You got to right. do your collage. And if your collage is, you know, just a Pinterest board, that totally counts. Mm-hmm. That's legit because it's about pulling together the images and yeah. thinking about them and processing them. And so whatever it is, if it's something that you want to go through magazines and cut out pictures or you want to print stuff out, which is usually what I do. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then put that into a scrapbook Um, whatever it is that you want to do the final product is not what's important the act is what's important well and I found that replacing the word collage um, which Mm -hmm. kind of put this like artistic and it shouldn't but it does I feel like it needs to be you know creative and Mm -hmm. and pretty Um, but when I traded collage for collection then I went into data collection mode and it was sure. like, ah, pick all things related to the theme of visual creativity. And my brain knew how to do that. And so oh. um, when I, so a slam book where you just like put a couple things mm-hmm. on every page and it's just a collection became much easier for me. And that's been fun. Oh, so good. I'm going to keep doing that um, because well, it's that's like a, a really valuable thing because what you yeah. did was reframe it into something that has meaning for you. Yeah. So it's a visual kind of inspiration file, which I like. Awesome. And, I love uh, that. But it made me realize I want some damn twinkle lights around oh. my desk. Like, oh, <laughs> baby. Baby, I will hook you up. My entire, <laughs> like anybody who has ever seen any of my videos knows that I live, like I have twinkle lights yeah. all over my house. They're it beautiful. Is the primary, mm-hmm. the primary lighting scheme for my house is twinkle lights. Yeah. But there's a brand, I'll put a link in the show notes that I absolutely love and I buy all the time. And they even have a little, um, 
a little remote control you can dim them and brighten them and turn them on and off so yeah it's they're really wonderful and they last i mean honestly forever i've had uh, a couple of these strings of lights for like two or three years oh that's great yeah no they're fantastic and not terribly expensive so I'll, i'll put the link in the show notes Bring me a shrubbery, something small and not too terribly expensive. <laughs> yes, I need, I need twinkle lights in my life. All right, awesome. Great. So we did our homework. So what reflections do you have from last week? Like not just from the homework, but I'm guessing that maybe some of the thoughts stayed with you a little, maybe like they did for me throughout the week. Um, they do. The discussion stays with you, you know, and you mm-hmm. kind of like work through it throughout the week. And one of the things that I've been working with is this idea of perfectionism, right? Because I made this statement, you know, like perfectionism is the enemy of everything or something like that. I can't remember what I said. <laughs> perfectionism yeah. is running from vulnerability, I think I said. Right. Um, and uh, and that's really good that I had that insight because damn, if I don't really try to like make <laughs> everything perfect that I do. And I mean, I fail like most of the time, but I, I always try like anything that's in my power to do. I will try to fix and make perfect. So I did this uh, still pretty video. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And the thing is, there's like, I did the whole thing and it took hours and I edited it and I put it up and I uploaded it to YouTube, which also takes forever in a day. And I put everything out. I put all the links out. And I was done. And I was like, all right, I'm going to watch it one more time. Right. I'm going to watch it one more time just to be sure. Mm-hmm. So I watch it one more time. And as I'm watching it, when it's done, when it's up, when it's public, there's one frame. Oh, and no. a, frame, a frame for those of you who don't do like, you know, video work is one like 30th of a second, 29.97 frames. If it's film, it's 24 frames, whatever. It's like 30 frames a second. Like, let's just you know, round it <laughs> off. Right. So it's 30 frames. So it's one 30th of a second. I had a frame that was a jump, you know, um, that was a bad edit and I didn't fix it. And it was, it was so hard not to fix it. And even as I tell the story now, I'm like, you know, I could go back and fix that. But the thing is, like, it's not just, it would be like two seconds of editing work, which is fine. But then I've got to export it. Then I've got to upload it to YouTube, mm-hmm. which is a nightmare. Then the YouTube version, I can't just replace it with the fixed version. I got to put another one out. So that means all the people who viewed the original, it's this whole big thing. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let this go. It bugged me. You know, I was embarrassed. I felt like, okay, I, I don't look like a professional here. And I can almost get, first of all, nobody said a word to me about it. So if anybody noticed, they didn't say anything or they didn't care. Second of all, it's one thirtieth of a frame. Uh, who cares? It's not going out. It's not broadcast on NBC. You well, know, I mean, it's just on, it's on YouTube. You know, all, I can have a frame go bad. Still pretty is fucking fantastic. And if anyone <laughs> notices you. a thirtieth of a second, in the middle of the content of that show, there's a whole nother issue at play. <laughs> there. Yes, like, I exactly. Mean, they have on, standards really? is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> but I'm so proud of you for leaving it in there. Um, because oh, thank you. Point, it still hurts even now. No, but, but <laughs> the work has to be done if you're going to do mm-hmm. more work. Like Yeah, that's uh, the thing. Just get it done, move on. Yeah, but I yeah. know what you mean about being in Paris, like, when um, when I finished my dissertation, you have to wait several months for your work to be um, printed and bound, and then they yeah. actually send a physical copy mm-hmm. to the university, and one lives in the library forever and ever, um, which I love. And so I finally got my copies, and I went to pick them up and lifted them out of the box, you know, reverently with just this great amount mm-hmm. of ceremony and obnoxious pretense. And I was like, oh, <laughs> 
the book that I have brought forth into this world and kind oh, of don't make fun of that. That's and it. Oh, yes. it was hilarious. No, and then you I opened have it. that moment. <laughs> but it. I, I opened it to a random page and oh, there no. was a fucking typo no. on the page. Yes. Like <laughs> the first page I opened it to, there was a typo. And I was like, oh, no. oh my God. <laughs> right. Right. And now it feels like you're out there in public, you know, with your underwear on and your hair yes. not washed and like all of that stuff. And the thing is, is that nobody, nobody cares. Nobody cares about my frame. Nobody cares about your typo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. But uh, but I was thinking about about you and, and the perfectionism and, mm-hmm. and the yeah. incredible standard to which you hold yourself. Um and, and, and fail to came, meet on the most occasions. Yeah, well, Let's just get that out but, there. Right? But I came across this idea. Um, it's this this Japanese craft of mm-hmm. repairing objects uh, like cracks or, or things that have broken, like on a teacup or on a vase. Uh, there's mm-hmm. actually a craft of repairing the cracks with gold. And um, and I'll be a little vulnerable here and, and start a shame storm because I have a PhD and therefore I'm supposed to know all things. I don't know how to pronounce this word, <laughs> but it's spelled K-N, uh, uh, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. So maybe Kintsugi? Kintsugi um, but, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, but it's been around for no centuries. Idea. And so mm-hmm. the value of the, the teacup or the vase or whatever is actually increased you know, many times because the repairs have been filled with gold and like they're that, that art of actually enhancing the imperfections because no two pieces can ever be alike, you know, Mm -hmm. and it is, it is the cracks that make them special. It's the imperfections that make them human. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I might get Lonnie some liquid gold and some broken teacups. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I but, would love that. That's but so I'm, cool. I'm, you know, I'm trying to embrace that as well. And, um, I was, I had a, a plane ride this week and I hate mm-hmm. flying and I'm terrified of flying. And I decided to distract myself with my Brene Brown homework, you know, <laughs> reading over the chapter and, and making my notes. And, uh-huh. um, we hit a pretty strong pocket of turbulence and I realized I was holding the book really tightly um mm-hmm. i might have been clutching it and cussing very much under my breath <laughs> and um in this this kind of moment of panic i tore the back cover like i ripped oh. the back cover of my book and i wanted to cry because it's wrinkled and it's torn okay. and it's ripped and this is a now i have you know pages and pages and pages of notes that mm-hmm. I've added. So it's not like I want to get another copy. And I feel yeah. attached to this book because we're podcasting with this copy. Right. But I cannot stand a torn page. Like, it, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know. Um, so I got some gold washi tape <laughs> in the spirit <gasps> oh of this. That's and so repaired, awesome. Yeah, repaired all of the tears and, and torn places with the gold washi tape. And so it doesn't look... Like, this is not um, the equivalent of the art <laughs> by any means. But the cover held. It's still together. Uh-huh. It's still in one piece. And I can still oh, keep great. using, you know, that copy of the book. So your, your 32nd, 1 30th of a frame cut, that's, yeah. your, that's your gold thread in your episode. That's my gold thread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's quite that. 
that, but I think that, yeah, no, but I love that. I love that you used gold washi tape and that you kind of like lived in the spirit of that. Okay. You know, it's, it's cracked, it's broken, but I'm going to fix it in a way that actually increases its beauty and increases its value. And one of the nice things is that every time you see that book, you're going to be reminded of that. And every time you see your video clip, you're going to be reminded that you had the power to let it stay. And you moved on and made another still pretty. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Instead of spending all the time re-uploading, you know, a split second (laughs) cut. Which is the craziest. It's the craziest thing that I seriously struggled with that for such a long time. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm still struggling a little bit. No, but you did it. I'm still kind of in it. But I did it and I'm not fixing it. I am not fixing it so what did you do how what were your reactions after going through last week what were you thinking about this week so I kept thinking about your rising strong process and how Mm -hmm. you had really integrated creativity to the point that it had become muscle memory for you Mm -hmm. I started wondering how I had done it because I have you know I have been towered I have gotten back up um, Mm -hmm. and it definitely was not through (laughs) creative creative process Mm -hmm. um And so I realized that I have been using a rising strong process of my own kind of Frankenstein making, Mm -hmm. and it has resulted in a pretty kick-ass resume, but I don't think it has resulted in kind of the um, emotional awareness, creative process Mm -hmm. that I would like to have instead. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think after each fall, I went after achievement. So I was Mm -hmm. kind of pursuing achievement instead of creativity and rumbling with my career instead of my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to, to be very, car, um, very compartmentalized. Okay. So mm-hmm. like my primary roles in life is being a mom and working like, mm-hmm. you know, kid and career. And that's kind of where everything, where everything goes. So after each big fall, I went back to school. <laughs> so, you know, I became a single mom, um, <laughs> And, you know, um, very young. And, and so I went back and finished my bachelor's with this, like, mm-hmm. incredible rushed determination to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had some other things we had to deal with and some other crashes in life. And I went back and got a master's <laughs> and then a few years after that. And the universe knocked my ass down again. And I went back and got a PhD. So I've, <laughs> I think it became, like, not even realizing it, but it was like, okay, if I get knocked down... I'm going to go learn something and become more competent and add this professional layer mm-hmm. to myself. Um, and, and I have grown intellectually and, and learned to appreciate my mind, which is great, um, mm-hmm. instead of just feeling like the geeky kid, you know, who's out of everything. But I think I have become all brain and, and little heart. And I, um, mm-hmm. I really want more heartfelt creativity in my life. So it's, okay. it was kind of an aha you know? Right. Well, plus after all of that, I mean, you can't really, you know, you can't keep going back to school because those <sighs> months will kill you, man. I know. I would though. I would keep going forever. Well, she was free. <laughs> because you love learning. I and do. I think that that's, that's a really good thing. I mean, I think that you and I kind of have the same thing. It's like we're, we're attaching to really positive things. I mean, you going back to school is this amazing thing and doing that while you're a single mom. I mean, that's so incredible what you've accomplished and you should be really proud of that. But, you know, if you went to it as an escape from facing the emotional, you know, backlash of everything that you've been through, then I don't think that you can look at me and say that I'm such an example because I think I go into my creativity in the same vein. I think I do it yeah. as a, as 
as an escape that when I'm working, when I'm doing this work, I feel connected with myself. I feel like I know who I am, but mm -hmm. I'm also not connecting with and not experiencing the uh, the horrifying <laughs> reality of right. like my emotional yeah. reckoning that I have to do. Yeah. But so I, but I you think, know, like when I first wrote this out, I thought, well, it was a big like it was a negative, and it was like maybe mm -hmm. something I shouldn't have done. And I, and I'm reframing that. So okay, good. I, I'm reframing it to say I think we both fell on our strengths. Yes. So like we use so. our natural strengths to mm -hmm. rise up. So you you have a very creative mind. I have a very analytical mind, and I think we mm -hmm. use that to rise strong, but I, yeah. I dove so far into the work that I'm much comfortable, much more comfortable staying in a workspace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, which is why I keep wanting to relate all of this to, to work instead <laughs> of to myself. Oh yeah. And I this think will not be the last time I do that. Yeah. And you're kind of constantly. in the same boat. So, mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's, it's great that we have the strengths. Mm -hmm. I know? think so too. I think it is really good. I think that like, and going to your strengths to rediscover yourself is nothing to be ashamed of or nothing to be sorry about because that's a really positive thing. We need to have that time where we're not feeling shitty. Right. Like you need to have that time where you're doing something that makes you feel good and capable, reminds mm -hmm. you of who you are so that you have the strength to reckon with all of this stuff. Now, my thing is I went into the creativity and this is, you know, what I'm currently doing now. I went into it and I did all this stuff and I had all the, and I was like, yay, now I have to think about it. I'm going to bed. Um, so I think <laughs> part of it, like part of the reason why, you know, I wanted to do this as a podcast is because I knew I wouldn't stick with it. Like you and I, I think we can, we can announce this. We can talk about this publicly. You and I both purchased a Brene Brown class oh, yeah. about this stuff. Yeah. We both had it. It was Daring Greatly and Rising Strong. Yep. And we bought them together. And we did. They're still, and we were like, every week we are going <laughs> to sit on the, we're going to get on Skype and we're going to yeah. do these things together. And we're going to, we did it once. once. We did one lesson yep. and the rest of it is sitting there getting dusty. Yep. But we're doing the podcast. So like, I mean... I don't That's know. Really like, interesting. I won't do it unless I force myself, unless I'm doing something where I'm creating something. So I have to combine the creativity oh. with the work. And that's the only reason why I'm making any progress at all. And I will definitely be discussing that with my therapist. <laughs> so I think that that's actually true. So like we both had the same reaction to the mm -hmm. online class, yeah. um, which was kind of, oh, dear God. Um <laughs> But I, I think the reason is that it's not because the class isn't good. It is. It's not it because really it's good. not That's valuable. Why. Because yeah, it exactly. is. But I think it's because we weren't ready. Mm -hmm. You know, we just weren't ready for that. And so um, I think this is pre-work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like working our so. way And I want to go back to it. I mean, it's one of these oh, working at your own pace. It'll be there. Yeah. You know, oh, so yeah. when we're done yeah, yeah. with Big Strong, yes, mm -hmm. I want to go back and finish that work too, because I think it's, it's really valuable. And I love the work that Brene Brown does, despite yeah. the things that you'll be hearing from me <laughs> later on in this episode. I, know. I feel like we need to record. So I'll, I will tell everyone <laughs> it is just absolute ridiculousness. That I had this, while I was bouncing in turbulence on an airplane, <laughs> that I started inventing this story of like dying in this crash. And I did pause for a moment to wonder if I could land on the island from Lost. Oh, right. um, because I was going to rumble Sawyer's with Sawyer there, yeah. for a little while, you know, and, and then I was okay with that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I started wondering, like, if I die in this crash and I'm clutching this Brene Brown book. Mm -hmm. with these notes in it and like they uncover that and they connect it to the podcast and she listens to the first <gasps> episode and thinks 
who the hell is this Kelly girl and why is she criticizing my work that I would just like have been so relieved to have been killed in the plane crash. Oh, like, so like she would like, never know because so, we love her so much. We have to open so, this by saying I wanted we love to, her so much. Like I yeah. wanted to add this big, huge thing at the beginning that says, I worship at the feet of Brene Brown. Yes. <laughs> like I don't ever no, want it to I sound know. differently. So do I. But the reason why she makes us so mad oh, <laughs> is because she's right. It's because she's, you know, like everything she's saying is right. And I mean, I guess now's as good a time as any to get into the reading. To get oh, into yes. The material. Let's talk about chapter two and three. Now, we will say this. I will say that chapters two and three are probably the most difficult and my least favorite part of the book. And yes. um, when I first started reading this, this is where I put the book down. But you Mm -hmm. had an even stronger reaction to chapter two than I did. Oh, I did. I was so mad. (laughs) I was so mad. I actually, I actually, between the whole reading, like I bounced from like really angry to like, oh my God, that's so cool. And then back to really angry. But, (laughs) but the thing is like the reason why I got really angry is because of me and my deficiencies, not Dr. Brown. So I just want to, I want to get that clear right now. Like I love this woman. I think her work is incredible. Her work has informed my work in a way that has, has improved what I do. And let me tell you, there is nothing that is going to get you my affection more than if you improve my work. I mean, I love her for that. But so, okay. The fucking Speedo. Can we just like talk about <laughs> the fucking Speedo? The fucking yes. Speedo. I hate, I hate this story. This is the story where she talks about how, you know, some years ago she was on vacation in this beautiful part of Texas, this place called Lake Travis with her husband and her kids. And, um, and she and her husband were out swimming and she was, you know, really having a vulnerable moment with him and like reaching out to him and expressing herself and he wasn't responding. Right. right. And so part of her, her big problem was, you know, you know, um, was, you know, I, I'm, uh, he's being a jerk because I, I don't rock a Speedo anymore. Right? right. And and that became like the thing that I focused on because I was like, you know, I know that experience should not be compared. Like I am absolutely on board with that. If your pain is is your pain is not relevant or relative to anybody else's pain, just because somebody is experiencing something worse doesn't mean that your pain doesn't matter. It doesn't diminish that, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I want that said before I say, oh, really, Brene, your husband of 25 years who loves and support you failed to give you attention in a moment when you wanted it. And this is the big moment. This is the horrible, painful experience that you had in your life. Um, And, you know, and even as I have these thoughts, like this is the worst thing, really, this is the worst thing that ever happened to you. Well, you know, shut up about rocking the Speedo. First of all, you don't rock the Speedo the way you used to. I've never rocked a Speedo in my entire (laughs) life. So screw you, Brene Brown. At least you had your beautiful youth. I never even had that. So, you know, I have all of this anger that I'm I'm feeling, even as I know it's unfair, it's untrue. I don't believe in my response. I don't think that it's valid, you know. Right. Um, but when I read this this thing, and I and and what's valuable in this is not the specifics of her experience, which, by the way, is incredibly brave for her to share. She yes. is so brave in everything she shares. She shares this vulnerability, knowing that some people are going to be like, "Yeah, screw you," you know. Right. Um, but she does it because the 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 information she got from this experience, the insight that she got from this experience, you know know is base is the basis of this book and this book is going to help people and so she's sharing this whole thing 
And I'm just pissed off. I'm just like, oh, yeah, so your husband, 25 years, loves you, didn't cheat on you, is an sociopath. So, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, Brene Brown, (laughs) I don't feel that bad for you. And I just, I I couldn't get past that. I was really annoyed by that. And then she moved into this other thing where she was talking about her presumptions about him, that he was ignoring her because she didn't rock the Speedo, right? Mm -hmm. And so she has this moment where she asks herself, what's the most generous story that I can tell here? And that sent me into like a white hot, like if you've ever seen um, Clue, the movie Clue with Madeline Kahn, where Uh she's like flames out of the side (laughs) of my face. And, And the thing is that for my very specific situation, for the things that I am very specifically going through, my problem is that all of my stories are incredibly generous to everyone else. Like I see everything through their perspective, even when they're wrong. And I live in the reality, which is not a reality. It's a false reality where they're right. And I'm wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Because and it's a control thing. If I'm wrong, I can fix it. Like I, I get that. We'll talk about that plenty. I'm sure in the process <laughs> of this whole thing. Um, so when she's saying that the way that she gets through this, this reckoning and rumbling process is by looking at the stories she's telling and trying to find a more generous way to look at it for the other person, that sends me into such a fury because, and I have all these notes all over my book, like, how does this help me, Dr. Brown? Because <laughs> I I can't tell a more generous story. It's the generous stories that I've been telling that have allowed people, you know, these very specific people, and I'll mm-hmm. get into the specifics later, but, um, but these very specific people who are probably the two most powerful people um, in my life who've hurt me the most, like, uh, most profoundly, um, who've done the most damage to me personally, is because I overlooked the reality of the situation and I told a generous story about them so that I could justify my loving them, so I could justify my sacrifice that I, that I gave for them, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And then... It's not useful to me. And now I'm really angry at Brene Brown when she's really being delightful. She's really being like, right. wonderful and brave and lovely and right. And, and I'm so angry that I can't, I can't quite process it. I've got flames on the side of my face. So. <laughs> well, and I totally, totally understand that. And I had a, a similar reaction to this where I was just completely pissed off, mm-hmm. uh, but for kind of different reasons. But I, I think... Um, with you being as, as empathetic as you are and, and looking for the fault in yourself that telling a generous story about someone else translates in your mind to making the other person right. Mm-hmm. And that yes. doesn't have to be the case. So, okay. Right. So maybe if you tweak that question just a little so that it becomes, what is the most generous story I can tell here about myself that that might help you a little. Yeah. See, that frustrates me. And I think it is about control. I, I would rather be wrong. Right. Right. Because, because I know on some level that these people are not going to put me first, that they're not going to value me, that they're not going to love me the way that you should love people that you love, the way that you should treat people that you love. Like I know that. So if I'm wrong, then I can fix it. If if the problem is me, then I have power. And if the problem is them, I have no power. Right. And I think that is the thing that that gets me and that makes me angry about this idea of tweaking the question mm-hmm. to be generous toward myself. Yeah. And also it, it it worries me because 
they always tell the narrative. They always tell the story that puts them in the best light, you know, that makes them look like wonderful people and makes me look like an asshole. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I do a generous story for me, how am I not exactly who they are? How do I not become them? Because, you know, one of these people that I'm talking about is, is my mother who had narcissistic personality disorder, um, which is a, a, a real personality disorder. And people with NPD actually don't get diagnosed. The people around them get diagnosed right. because they think they're perfect and they can't. It's, it's actually not that they think they're perfect. NPD is this absolutely devastating insecurity. Mm-hmm. You are so insecure that you cannot handle even the idea that you might ever be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of like what happened, you know, with me, with my mother when I was little. And so because of that, like she would never be wrong. So I had to be wrong or we wouldn't be able to have, you know, peace in the house, you know, right. and I wanted peace. So I did mm-hmm. that and I learned to kind of allow people to to make my reality a little malleable, you know, to, mm-hmm. to tweak my reality and to live in somebody else's reality, even when it was dangerous for me, because it was either that or lose them. Right. And losing them in the long run is the better thing. Right. But, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, when you're a little kid, you can't lose your yeah. mom. It's not an option, you know. Well, of course not. But having to, to kind of grapple with the idea that you're not wrong therefore you can't mm-hmm. control it makes you vulnerable yeah oh you know? yeah yeah so See? i mean i know it sounds like i'm i'm so innocent and so perfect and everything no, but I don't, really, I don't, like... no not at all but but i think <laughs> i don't want to come off to... like that like i've got no. real problems <laughs> i don't think you do at all but i think it's another mm-hmm. form of vulnerability and and both mm-hmm. of us our instinct is to push vulnerability as far away as possible oh yeah you mm-hmm. know and i would rather be wrong than vulnerable because if i'm wrong mm-hmm. i can fix it Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? it's, a, it's a control thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and just recognizing that is is powerful, you know? Yeah, but I don't I want mean, to tell you're... a story that's generous to me because I don't want to become, you know, essentially her. Like, part I of why I always tell possible. the story that, that, that makes me look bad. You know, I'm actually much more comfortable, uh, like, acknowledging my faults and acknowledging the places where I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, than I am acknowledging when I'm right. And the thing is that with, with both of the people that I'm going to talk about throughout the course of this, the, the two, you know, big people who've, who've done the same thing to me, um, it, is, it is really difficult for me to be like, I didn't do anything wrong. It is yeah. so hard for me to, to accept that. And it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel like I'm being them. Like I'm saying, oh, nothing's my fault. I'm absolutely perfect and wonderful. And the innocent little victim and you're a monster, you know? And, um, and I mean, don't get me wrong. They're monsters. I'm yeah. not, I'm not saying that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, like I, I don't know, I don't want to be them. I would rather be me in all of this pain and, mm-hmm. and be the one who gets slapped than be the one who slaps. Yeah. And I have like part of my protection against ever being the way that she was, you know, against ever hurting anybody the way that she hurt me is that I look to myself and see where I'm wrong as often as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Which makes you doubt yourself on a regular basis. Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. So so part of this is learning how to trust yourself again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not going to be easy. It's not like you're going to have that realization to be like, oh, I'm done. Let's move on. All fixed now. Oh, <laughs> All why fixed. not? All better. No, you just, I bet, I bet Santa Claus isn't real either. Is oh, <laughs> no, do not, do not even tell me something like that. But, um, but I think just realizing it, right, that you, how do you put yourself first? 
and not mm-hmm. become a self-centered bitch. I mean, I struggle right. with that too. I have found it helpful, and, and Dr. Brown talks about this a lot, about um, not believing in false dichotomies, that things mm-hmm. don't have to be one thing or the other. You know, mm-hmm. you're not right or wrong. This isn't true or false. Um, mm-hmm. But to think of things on a spectrum, and if and mm-hmm. if you have this, um, you know, kind of like a pendulum, you know how a, the bottom of a clock will swing from one side mm-hmm. to the other? Yeah. So if, if the far, far left of that is narcissism, and the far, far right of that is Mother Teresa, <laughs> sustaining either of those for a lifetime is, is impossible, unless right. you're Mother Teresa or a narcissist, <laughs> and you're neither. And you mm-hmm. can't, you couldn't be a narcissist if you tried. You don't have it in you. Um, so I think just understanding that you can move toward mm-hmm. one end of that spectrum without landing at the extreme. Okay. No, I think that that's, that's obviously really wise advice and very true. That's because and... we're talking about your shit and not mine. <laughs> oh, 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 can we talk about your shit now? No, no, can no. We talk about your shit no, now? No, we're not done with yours. But I was no, saying it's, it's easier. You were right. I just said you're right. Yeah. It's easier to see it. And I'm you. wrong. No, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong, but I, but I, I think like maybe if your goal is just to even move like a foot mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. pendulum a little closer yeah. and it's not about being selfish. It's about being self, I don't know, self trusting. I guess I just want to be right. Yeah. I well, don't want to like, I don't, so don't be right. Be, um, <laughs> you don't strive to be right. Strive to have good intention. Okay. And that includes good intention toward yourself. What is the most generous story you can tell about yourself? Just one shitty first draft this week. Any one situation. generous shitty first draft? Is that my homework? Yes. Oh my God, that's going to kill me. Just one. And you can make it however. It can be something simple. It can be something okay. tiny. It doesn't have no, to be one, one of the, the big things... issues. That's one of the things that, like, when I listen back to, to our episodes of Big Strong, yes, the thing that makes me crazy is that... I feel like I sound like I'm such a, you know, like perfect little innocent. Like, you know, I've never done anything wrong and all these people are just so terrible. You know, no, it drives me crazy. Not at all. Well, it is very difficult for a strong person to be at the receiving end of, of hurt. Mm-hmm. To know yeah. that someone hurt you, mm-hmm. you know, when you are a strong person and you want to stand up and kick ass, it, it's difficult to be in that position. And so you're fighting that as well. And there's a difference between being victimized by someone and becoming a victim. Yes. And wrong mm-hmm. was done to you. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make you helpless. It right. makes you vulnerable. And there's mm-hmm. a difference between those two things. Yeah. No, that's good. Can we talk about you now? Nah. Okay. <laughs> well, I also... Okay, look, I asked three times. Okay, no, okay, okay, okay. Times. So I also wrote fucking speedo on this yes um (laughs) but (laughs) but it was funny because um like I said the first time I read this this is where I literally was almost done I was like Mm -hmm. if this is the best you got (laughs) you are not gonna be able to deal with my ugliness like really because no um but but she hit very quickly and first of all for those of you that haven't read this yet if you do read it just keep going because the speedo is about more than the speedo 
Um, it is. It was just a trigger. Yeah, it was a trigger for, for both of us. Yeah. But it might be fine for you. Like if you're out there and you read it and you were like, I like the Speedo story, then that's good. Yeah, that's great. It means that it didn't <laughs> hit on your really sensitive parts. Something else she does is going to hit on your really sensitive parts, and we'll be there for you when that happens. Yeah. But this isn't about something's wrong with with this story no, or not at Dr. All. Brown or anything like that. This is just when you stumble, when you trip over something in that book, it means it's something that needs your attention because it is a problem for you. Right. So and normally we get triggered by different things. We were just both yeah. triggered by this. We know, just both happened theater. to get um, <laughs> so I wanted to recreate one of your setting things on fire activities. I was like, I'm going to put a fucking yes. speedo in a fucking bucket, and light it on fucking fire just to have done it. <laughs> but, um, but, but it is not about, oh, yeah, I've burned a lot of shit in the last six months. Yeah, let me man, tell you. I'm all about it. <laughs> um, but, oh, yeah. but after telling, you know, that story, she got to this phrase where she said the story I'm making up. And, Mm -hmm. and as I'm reading through, you know, rising strong and and working on this stuff with you, I kind of think about it as like a toolbox. So like what things can Mm -hmm. I pull out, what tools, what frameworks, what methodologies, you know, um, what are the tools that will help me? And the idea Mm -hmm. of the story that I'm making up is, has become an incredible tool for me because I think, um, I think Dr. Brown and I have similar personalities in some ways, that I am going to fight first. I'm going to be mm-hmm. defensive first. And if I get scared, I'm immediately going to get mad. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to come out fighting, whether you deserve it or not. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so it's helpful for me to, to kind of say that. And I realized when listening to her talk about the Speedo, I was so busy judging her and dismissing right. that story because it wasn't as painful as some of my own stories. That I Mm -hmm. literally spun this entire story about her and her life and how perfect everything is for her. Yes. uh, Which was untrue, unkind, and unhelpful Mm -hmm. for me as a reader. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that the story that I was making up there was either the trigger for or the result of what she calls a shame storm and Mm -hmm. and being engulfed in a shame story. And it's Mm -hmm. helpful to learn what that trigger feels like. Um, yeah, because I, I think I do that a lot. And so now if I feel angry, I'm stopping and asking myself, does something trigger shame here? Mm-hmm. And chances are it, the answer is probably yes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you shame me, I'm not going to lay down and cry. I'm going to get up and kick your ass. And so it's just like, it's, it's really good for me to know that about myself because, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times what someone says or does to trigger that shame storm was not intended that way at all. Right. So it's helpful mm-hmm. for me to say, what is the story I'm making up here? And just, if I, I have, I struggle with the shitty first drafts. Like I know that they're important mm-hmm. to do, but I never seem to know what to say. And so I'm using yeah. that as the first line, the story mm-hmm. I'm making up. Right. The story I'm making up. And mm-hmm. then I know, then I can start the, the shitty first draft because now I have an opening sentence. So it, it's helpful. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. that's good yeah the other big tool I took away is the idea that you can't skip day two and so Mm -hmm. when you're going through a rising strong process or you're doing any kind of healing or self-reflection or reckoning she calls that hard space in the middle you know where you just want to lay down and die (laughs) or just quit and be like yeah I'm done now Mm -hmm. Um, she calls that day two and she says in the book uh, it's on page 26 in the paperback Day two or whatever that middle space is for your own process is when you're in the dark, 
The door has closed behind you. You're too far in to turn around and not close enough to the end to see the light. And and so just knowing that day two is a thing and it is mm-hmm. a process and that recognizing when I'm in it and knowing that yeah. it will pass, I will get to the end is helpful as well. Um, so mm-hmm. those are good, you know, those are good tools. And, and I think the reason that we both had the reaction to the course that we were trying to take together is that we're mm-hmm. still in day two. Um, and Oh, I think so. Day two lasts forever. It does, man. It's like, <laughs> you know, day is a whole lot more than a day here. But, um, but oh, I think yeah. it's difficult when you can't see the light yet to start mm-hmm. trying to force yourself to heal. Like we're always in such a hurry to get better. Mm-hmm. And that's what this whole thing is about, right? Is that actual rising process. So like we're still in Mm -hmm. the process of standing back up. Like we're we're not even ready to reach for the first aid kit yet. Like we just got to get up. Um, Exactly. (laughs) It's helpful, you know, to remember that. So yeah, absolutely. But it, it, I thought a lot of you in this too, because she gets so um, much into story work and and talking about Pixar. And when she talks about that messy middle, that day two, that, Mm -hmm. that dark area in the middle, I've studied story structure a little. I've been a student of yours for a long time and um, mm-hmm. studying the, you know, the hero's journey and all that stuff. And I've heard that point in story structure described as the midpoint, the point of no return, the reversal of fortune. So as a writer, like, did you immediately go to story structure with this? And and then in your personal area here, getting away from work again, do you think real life rising strong processes can be understood through story? So, like, we can take what you know about story structure and apply it to real life? Yeah. Well, okay, the thing is, like, I I feel that everything can be understood through story, that mm-hmm. story is actually the way we access actual use we use things that are not literally true to access the actual truth to access the real emotional truth of a situation and that's what we use story to do because it gives us an accessible path to that whereas in real life other things can distract us and kind of get in our way Um, story gives you a straight it's like a straight you know a shot of heroin you know (laughs) to the arm right you know not that I know what that's like. I'm just saying I've seen some TV. It seems like that's an appropriate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so what I did here was uh, she started talking about story. Pixar started talking about story. Mm-hmm. They were talking about all the things. That they, and I just went straight into this whole work thing, right? Because I bring it into my work. Yep. And then suddenly that vulnerability is gone. Suddenly I'm not pissed off at Dr. Brown anymore. <laughs> suddenly I'm like, hey, this is really, really cool. Um, and it was funny because I actually just did a whole thing on the second act and mm-hmm. how difficult the second act is for this episode is still pretty that I did. I think it's, I think it's the one with the, with the bad frame. <laughs> First of all, but, that episode of still pretty is fantastic oh thank you thank you it's it's really fun and I'm actually working through so much of of this process in still pretty talking about Buffy because again story gives you access and clarity you know on certain things that you can you can look at it in a way that that reflects on your regular life and so I've been found it really therapeutic and healing to do these still pretties these discussions of Buffy but the thing that I was talking about what I wrote in the script was typically the second act is the act of industry where all the hard work and sweat and heavy lifting happens to carry the escalating tensions escalate them further and then hand them off to the more exciting third act as any other writers in the audience 
audience know, the second act in a three-act story is usually the grunt work. It's not as fun to write and not as fun to watch. It lacks the wonder and potential of the first act in which a story is set up and launched, and it lacks the excitement and thrill and satisfaction of the climax and resolution in the third act. The second act is necessary in order to get the full effect of the story, but usually just not as much fun. And I looked back at that and thought this was, you know, I'd written written that before we read these chapters and before I remembered, you know, this part of that story, this idea of of day two and mm-hmm. the second act and how incredibly freaking hard it is. <laughs> and it is. And so I looked at that and I thought this is exactly, you know, it's not as much fun. Right. It's hard. It's grunt work. It's industry. You have to apply yourself in day two. You cannot just sit back and wait for day two to pass because it's not like a time functional thing right it's an effort functional thing Mm -hmm. so every time you put your shoulder up against day two you nudge it the tiniest bit because it's a bitch and I hate her Um, (laughs) the second act is awful Um, but you have to put your shoulder up against it and you have to put the effort in and you have to move it or you're gonna sit in day two literally forever and there are people who sit in day two forever because they never put their shoulder into it they never push their way through it Um, but the thing that I, I found really interesting um, one of the things that that she was talking about in this was the form storm norm perform thing right um, where they were talking about the building of a team and that right. the, at first you form the team then you have your conflicts and you storm through it then everything becomes normalized and only at that point can you perform right right, right. this is basics and of organizational it, theory and team structure and leadership and trust and all of that stuff yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this is all, you know, but, but that's actually how basic story structure works. Mm-hmm. Story structure has these four things. You start the conflict, you escalate the conflict, you climax the conflict where a winner is decided, and then you resolve the conflict and you show me how the world has changed and why it matters. And for anyone who listens to my storytelling podcast, How Story Works, you've heard me talk about that. So that is the basics of, of every story. You know, there's a million different structures out there that can work and they're all specific to whatever the form is that you're trying to do but the essence of story structure is that thing those four points and when they hit form storm norm perform that is story structure and I think that the reason why story reflects life so much is that we built story to reflect life as human beings we built story so that it could reflect life back on us and we could understand it better so that's why it's not a coincidence that these things reflect on each other so of course then I went through this whole thing with the uh, the Pixar stuff, you know, how much I love the Pixar stuff, and it mm-hmm. gave me all these insights in my work, which was really, really fun. I was really into it at this point. I was <laughs> loving all of this stuff and having a great time. How about you? Yeah, I, I, uh, I keep thinking about Jonathan Gottschall, who says, you know, all humans mm-hmm. are storytelling animals. Um, oh, yeah. And I love that. And I love narrative theory, and I love storytelling in, in every possible application. Um, but I, I think that the real realization here, when she talks about owning your story, is it really is about putting that lens on your real actual life and your real actual mm-hmm. feelings. And so for that perspective, when you think about rising strong, is that where your story starts? Or at least at that, that particular point, like is the conflict you laying flat down on the ground after falling? And are you getting up? I don't know the answer. To yeah. That. Yeah. No, because I think that the, the day two, the second mm-hmm. act is the storm. Yeah. You know, this is when everything is terrible. You can't see the light. 
all you're just stuck in the middle of this this horrible storm and everything looks awful and it's only getting worse the right. more i mean this is one of the things that happens in act two right? right you're supposed to escalate that conflict and and one of the things that i i tell my students is things get worse you have mm-hmm. to make things worse and everything that your protagonist tries to do to make it better mm-hmm. is only going to make things worse because they haven't learned the essential lesson that they need to learn that is part of the story arc, part of the character arc for that story. They haven't learned it yet. And if they haven't learned it yet, they can't apply it. And so everything they do, they're going to go back to whatever their standard way of doing things is. They're going to go back to the way that they've always done things. And it's not going to work because this particular challenge is much, much bigger than that. So, you know, here we are, we're in that storm. It reflects that second act, you know, the things that you have to do in the second act when you're writing a story Mm -hmm. and, you know, and we're just living it. We just, we haven't learned the skills yet that we need to be able to, to, you know, fight this battle. Yeah. But unless you put your shoulder into it, you're never going to learn those skills. Right. You're just going to be stuck in the storm. Well, and I, I guess that's what learning the rising strong process is all about. Because I know mm-hmm. both of us wanted to immediately apply all of this intellectually to our work. You as a storyteller, me as a researcher, um, I would mm-hmm. much rather apply the rising strong process to my work than to my heart, you know, and, oh, yeah, and, and just admitting I have that. Like, I have like a whole page of notes on why Pixar is wrong about their <laughs> I'll put that in how, I'll put that in how story works once I, once I really figured out, because I also got a really nice insight into it. But I mean, yeah. I have all these notes here and they, they don't apply to what we're talking about here. So I'm not going to go into it, yeah. but I mean, I wanted to make, I worked so hard to go to what I'm used to, to go to the things that, that ordinary, mm-hmm. like, what do I do? I go to my work. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the thing that I do to battle, you know, whatever demon it is that's coming at me at the moment. And, and I can't do that. You can't go to research. I can't go to storytelling. You know, we have to battle this thing. We have to find a way through it and, and, you know, and face these demons in a way that is different from what we've been doing. Because if what we were doing was working, we wouldn't be doing the podcast. Or we would have gotten through her class without both turning off her computer at the same point. (laughs) Absolutely, <laughs> but 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 maybe is it is about trying something new, um, or or just mm-hmm. becoming awake. You know, just becoming conscious yes. of the fact that mm-hmm. okay, I have a pattern for how I struggle. I have a, a thing I mm-hmm. fall back on. I'm going to try something new, and it's going to be hard mm-hmm. and uncomfortable, and I'm probably not going to do it right the first time, but I'm going to try it. Right, mm-hmm. and and maybe it's just developing the conscious awareness to be willing to do that. That is, that is kind of step one. Um, but, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she talks about integrating the rising strong process. Um, and because mm-hmm. this is a process with steps and on page 37 in the paperback, she said, the goal of the process is to rise strong from our falls, overcome our mistakes and face hurt in a way that brings more wisdom and wholeheartedness into our lives. And so she breaks the rising strong process down into three steps. The reckoning, the rumble, and the revolution. Um, And so she calls the reckoning kind of the walking into our story, recognizing emotion, and getting curious about our feelings, which is a step I would love to skip. Um, (laughs) She talks about the rumble, you know, owning our stories and getting honest about the stories we're making up, challenging our confabulations and assumptions to determine what's truth, what's what's self-protection, and what needs to change. And then the revolution, when you actually write a new ending to your story, mm-hmm. you know, based on what you've learned, um, so that you have a new, braver, you know, story that changes the way that you live. And I love having a process to learn. 
And so I want to immediately map this out and add sub-steps. So where does this <laughs> shitty, fir- you know, first draft fit in? Uh, when does creative action come into play? Like I want to outline this um, as a methodology that I can, that I can apply, mm-hmm. which at first sounds like work, but actually I think is okay because it helps me think about these as steps. And if I understand the steps, I can do the dance. Right, right. It's not as easy as saying, okay, I turned to my work. So now I can never turn to my work in this process because we have to build on the skills that we have. We have to build on our strengths and use them. But if we use them to move ourselves closer to this process, then I think it's okay. And because you're using those skills to bring you into the process rather than pull you away from it, then it's great. Then it's actually exactly what you should be doing. Right. You just have to do it with awareness. Like she says, the tools needed to integrate the rising strong process are storytelling and creativity, you know, talking Mm -hmm. and writing about our experiences. So we both get a damn cookie. Like we're right. (laughs) right? Because we're doing the thing. Exactly. (laughs) And she says, you know, the idea of integrate is to make whole. And so maybe if, if we've been using one part of ourselves a lot more than the other, it's not about stopping Mm -hmm. using that part. It's just about building those other muscles as well. Right. And doing that with, Mm -hmm. with more awareness and more intention. So I think we're good. Like, I think these, these, this was really hard. This chapter kicked my ass. Oh, God, it was. I was so angry. I cannot even tell you how many curse words are in the margins of my writing. <laughs> book. And I, I don't think. And I'm... if I ever get in a plane in a plane crash and Brene Brown finds it, uh, I'm sorry. I know. Oh, right. I'm like, oh, God, I Brene Brown. I didn't mean it, Dr. Brown. Please let me buy you a beer and tell you how wonderful you <laughs> exactly. are. Um, and someday, I just have to believe that someday. she has transcended to this amazing point of you know, awareness that she would just pat me on the head and be like, oh, you're struggling. How adorable. Aww. Like it wouldn't bother her. I know. But <laughs> well, the worst thing anybody said to her, I'm sure, oh, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think the fact that, that she would know as much as anybody that we're not, no. our problem is not with her. Not at all. She's holding up. She's right. Yeah. She's holding up a mirror. Um, mm-hmm. which is an incredible yeah, thing. Yeah, and I don't like that mirror. I don't either, man. That's uh-uh. ugliness no, in that mirror. I don't want to look in that mirror. I want the mirror that makes me look pretty. <laughs> I want the mirror that's actually a magical portal to another world. Like, Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that mirror. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we, we both did struggle very much with this, but I think we came to yeah. a, a pretty good place with it, at least just I think so too. some awareness. Right. Which is good. Yeah. No, it's been it's been really valuable. And having this discussion, like there are certain things that you've said in the process of this discussion that I'm still kind of chewing over, you know, that, that I think are going to be really valuable insights. So thank you. Well, you too. And thank you. And I know I'll, I will think about your words. Um, and it's actually mm-hmm. great because people have participated in this so amazing yeah. um, on the, the Chipperish forum and Twitter and, and in the Patreon mm-hmm. chat. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. about what they're saying. You know, um, yeah. and it, it, it's really incredible to kind of see the the reaction and other people's thoughts, you know, and it, it, it just gives mm-hmm. me so much to think about. Um, but but I did get some questions about the the framework that we're using, kind of our three part framework. So mm-hmm. I thought I would mm-hmm. talk about that and clarify it a little before we jump into it sure. this week. Mm-hmm. I put this up on the forum on chippers.com slash forum. 
for last week's mm-hmm. episode so you can kind of read through it but this is a this is deep reading and it, it might be kind of easy mm-hmm. to get lost on something or just to get stuck so we thought about this framework that would help us identify three key things for each episode um, so if you're doing the reading it could be three key things from the reading if you're just listening to us without doing the reading which is fine it might be three mm-hmm. things you know from the episode that speak to you but the first is a big idea And this is the aha moment of inspiration, something that strikes you as uplifting or encouraging or magical. Um, And then a strong challenge, which is something you resisted in the reading, something that made you want to stop or an idea that Mm -hmm. made you angry (laughs) um, or something that you realized was a trigger for you. So, you know, a speedo, (laughs) if we need a metaphor (laughs) for that. Um, And then a yes, which is an action that you're going to take based on, you know, this reading or these ideas. It can be a big Mm -hmm. step. It can be something tiny. But the idea is to say yes to doing something positive or brave or healing or happy that works for you. So we're all, you know, you and I are still practicing this framework, but it just kind Mm -hmm. of helps me in terms of processing and then getting ready for the next chapter. So what was your big idea? What was your aha moment of inspiration this week? Well, one of the things I like is she she quotes a lot of people throughout this book, and I love every quote. Every time she pulls out a quote, I'm like, "Damn, that's good." Yeah. You know? oh, <laughs> the, yeah. one, the one she pulled this week was from Paulo Coelho, who said, "When you're on your path, the universe will conspire to help you." Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've seen happen, um, and I, I've seen this happen a lot during different parts of my life, that you know things fall apart everything's a mess. And it's in those moments when everything falls apart, when, you know, I talked about being towered and what towering means in in the last episode, Mm -hmm. that when you're towered and you're starting from scratch again and you're rebuilding, you're on the path. The reason you got towered is because you got off your path, because you weren't going in the right direction, because you weren't being, being, you know, aligned with the core of who you are, that you, you know, you went in a different direction. And that doesn't mean that you did something terrible or that, you know, you deserve it. It's just the, this is the, the inevitable, you know, um, consequence of that. Mm -hmm. So when you get towered and in the moments in my life, when I've gotten really and truly towered, that is when somehow everything else fell into line. Everything I needed just happened. You know, and it was things that I couldn't have anticipated. Like, you know, I've had this horrible experience over the last six months, my entire life falling apart. And then, you know, you and I had been friendly before that, but like we started to become really close throughout this process and you've been helping me through this and your personal experience, you know, is so valuable because you know what I'm going through. You know what I'm talking about. Whereas not a lot of people have had that specific experience. So that has been really incredibly helpful. Um, I, I needed a job because, you know, my business was destroyed and I had no way of paying the bills. And this absolutely perfect job just happened to open up right at that moment, you know, and then, and then like, you know, one day I just wake up and I suddenly come up with this idea for chipperish media. And it ends up being this, this really wonderful thing that I've, absolutely love doing and I just woke up with that inspiration I don't know where it came from Jed Bartlett is my president which was the pilot podcast for Chipperish Mm -hmm. was just something that came to me and it just happened to be the right idea at the right time like I didn't have to struggle and reach for these ideas I woke up in the morning and they were sitting on my nightstand Mm -hmm. you know and that experience of having everything I need show up right at the moment I need it 
without asking anything from me. You know, aside from, hey, here it is, get up and do it, take the action, which is never a problem for me. Taking action (laughs) is never a problem, you know. Um, So, you know, I I have found, like, when I read, when you're on your path, the universe will conspire to help you. I've really felt that. And and while I've never been a particularly, like, religious kind of person or, you know, believe that God is looking out for me or, you know, Jesus or Muhammad or whatever, Mm -hmm. Yahweh, whatever you want to call that that mysterious thing, you know. um, I've never really felt that. But I've always felt that there is a mystery to the universe, that there are certain things that happen at certain times. There are people who've come into my life at certain times of my life that have been so pivotal and so essential that had they not shown up at that exact place at that exact moment my life would have been so much poorer for it you know and when I look at that I think that's mystery I don't know where it comes from I don't know what it is but I know it's there I think that's beautiful and I I, I believe in magic I mean I think sometimes Mm -hmm. this is this is how it how it manifests but Mm -hmm. um but I think part of that is asking for what you want and asking for what you need. Um, and I don't mean that in the secret, I really need a Porsche kind of way, but I mean it in terms of your own authenticity and your own purpose, I guess, which is kind of like your own path, um, is Mm -hmm. just being willing to say, this is what my heart says. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, which is very difficult when you're focused on survival or focused on, you know, work or just or, getting through the know? day, right? Whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But it's funny because the the whole podcasting thing, I feel the universe put me on that path. Um, even though I'm still incredibly ungangly and, and, you know, um, awkward and clumsy on that path, oh, I'm, I'm learning. But You're wonderful. But that was, you know, one of the things that helped us become friends too, because when you said Jed Bartlett is my president, I said, oh, my God, I love the West Wing. And you said, come be a guest. And I said, holy shit. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. um, but, it was, you know, wanting to podcast for a long time. And then, you know, your your mm-hmm. hero says, hey, come be on my show. And you're like, oh, my God. But it was the two hour conversation that we had after that recording that I think, yeah. you know, really mm-hmm. helped us become friends and get to know each other and mm-hmm. help each other and support each other, which never would have happened without the podcast. You know, mm-hmm. which never would have happened without the fall. And it, it is just really mm-hmm. interesting um, how that how that happens if you're brave enough to, to say what you want. And then for you, being mm-hmm. open to ideas when they come to you, which is something you yeah. do incredibly well. Yeah, I think it's magical. It's wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, I think it is. I think it's it's really, really cool. And it's uh, and again, it's one of those things that like, I see it, I recognize it, I'm not going to convince myself that it's not there just because I don't happen to have a worldview that explains it. Right. You know, Um, but I think that it's, uh, it's wonderful. And and I believe in it, whatever it is, and I'm grateful for it, you know, whatever it is. So I think that that's really cool. What was your aha, your big moment, your big idea in this? So my favorite quote from this reading um, was on page 42 of the paperback. Dr. Brown says, Creating is the act of paying attention to our experiences and connecting the dots so we can learn more about ourselves and the world around us. And as a lifelong learning, you know, geek, Mm -hmm. this spoke to me so much. But instead of trying to apply it as a theory, I realized Mm -hmm. she's saying here exactly what I want. I want to be more aware, more mindful, Mm -hmm. more open to joy and happiness. Um, I don't know what that actually looks like yet because I'm still in the analytical stage, but 
I love the idea that creating is the act of paying attention um, so -hmm. that we can learn, you know, and it doesn't have to be for any kind of professional achievement. It doesn't have to be for the purpose of, of, you know, sharing or, or anything. It's just paying attention to, to the world and and to ourselves in it. And, and just that moment Mm -hmm. of, I guess, gratitude or awareness or both, um, that I think is, is really magical. So I like the fact that we had kind of really positive things to pull out of a very difficult reading. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting too, because the two things that you really respond to are creativity and learning. Right. And this (laughs) sentence combines both of them. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Like you could put that on my headstone. I'd be happy with it. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I think it's interesting for you that you are tapping into kind of that magic of the universe because you mm-hmm. give so much and I know that you um, you don't like being the center of attention and, and you're kind of uncomfortable with statements like this but you have shined light into many people's lives including mine you have helped people become more creative you have inspired people you have taught people and and you've reached a lot of people doing that and so when you yourself are a beacon for light it's mm-hmm. only right that you are able to accept light back from the universe and I think that that's wonderful to see that happening for you because you deserve it oh thank you well that's very sweet but I mean you have to recognize too that that's exactly what you're doing right now like all the things that I've been doing in this work like you're joining in and this is um you know I mean I've been doing a lot of stuff over the years with storytelling and with Buffy and with you know the Marvel stuff and Veronica Mars and like talking (laughs) about all of these stories and 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 you know and I've tried to to make it something that is accessible to people and that speaks on deeper themes and all that kind of stuff. But this is the first thing I've ever done um, on this scale. Uh, and especially this deeply, deeply vulnerable and mm-hmm. this deeply like where I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a, um, and you're doing this too, having had less experience in, in kind of being, you know, opening yourself up, opening up being in public. <laughs> yeah. you know, you've had it's, less experience with that sort of thing. Just a little terrifying. And you're doing this, <laughs> right, but you're doing this and you're inspiring people and you're shining light on people too. And so, you know, I know that you worry about it and you haven't been doing it as long but you're you're so genuine and you're so yourself and I think that there is such an incredible value to that and people who see you doing this like this is your thing that you wanted to do is podcasting and for somebody else it's something else you know but because you had the courage and the bravery to step up and do this thing that you felt you know a little nervous about and a little uncomfortable um, I think that you're showing you're being a really great example you're you're setting such a great example of I can do this if I can do this you can do whatever your thing is. You know? Oh my God. If I can I turn on wonderful. a microphone and talk about my feelings, anyone yes. can do any fucking thing they want to do. <laughs> Seriously. You guys have no idea. Like you may not know Kelly as well as I do, oh but yeah, God. doing this is such a challenge and you do it so well. You're doing wonderful. Oh my God. With it. Wow. And it's hard for sweet. you. It really it's is. Very it's, you know? it's very hard. It's very hard. But, but I think the other part of it, and, and this has been true for me and I've come to realize this in a lot of ways is, is going through this process with someone else, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, a friend that you can talk to or someone who just wants to do the same thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the most fun things that I've done recently was I made a glass paperweight at a glass blowing mm-hmm. place, which was amazing. Aww. 
And, um, and it was real artisans, you know, in there who, and you can watch the artists mm-hmm. working and making this incredible stuff out of glass. And I have always, you know, wanted to do it. And so, um, I mentioned it. So I think for me, just part of the magic of the world comes from saying, Hey, I want to do this yeah, and actually sharing that with someone else instead of just keeping mm-hmm. it in my head. And so I said it one day to a group of, of people. I was like, you know, I really want to try glass blowing. I think it would be cool. And someone in the group said, oh, you know, there's a place downtown that does this. Let's go Saturday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Wait, I, now I have to go do the thing, you know. Right. <laughs> and um, and we did it. And several people came who also wanted to do it. And now we all have these mm-hmm. really cool paperweights on our desk. And every time I see it, I'm like, I made that. And it was That's fun. That's so cool. You know? But it comes from that, right? Just saying, I I mm-hmm. want to do this, and saying just it being to someone brave else. enough, right? Being brave enough to to say it out loud. And one of the things too that the the listeners can do, we have all of these people in the Discord chat. We have all these people on oh, Twitter. Yeah. We have all these people mm-hmm. on the forums. Get a buddy. Get a big, strong, yes, buddy. Do the buddy system. Have somebody Mm -hmm. who will hold you responsible for saying, I want to do this thing. Have somebody who will, you know, I mean, the the shitty first draft is incredibly personal. You have to have somebody that you really, really trust. So finding somebody randomly on Twitter may not be the way to do it. And and you don't have to share your shitty first draft. Mm -hmm. You don't. Yeah. You just Mm -hmm. maybe just share the fact, hey, I really want to try. I wrote one. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I wrote one. Somebody give me a damn cookie. Exactly. Like, you don't have to share the content of the thing. You can just tell somebody, hey, I did the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And and that may not work for everyone. But I have learned, for me, if I have a friend who's going through it with me, or mm-hmm. uh, I, I, like, I would not have survived graduate school had I not mm-hmm. had a cohort of people doing the same work. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I studied National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, mm-hmm. and, and part of the magic of that is you're going through a challenge with a group of people. You're all working toward a common goal. And it's not about, you know, building a community based on some identity. It's about mm-hmm. building a community based on shared experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think just reaching out and saying, hey, you know, I want to try this or I want to apply for a new job or I want to, you know, roller skate, whatever it is, yeah. find mm-hmm. someone who'll cheer you on yeah, and, mm-hmm. and cheer them on in return. I think that that could be incredibly valuable. Yeah, I absolutely think so. All right, so the next thing that we're going into, the second part of this, is the strong challenge resisting the reckoning. <laughs> I think <laughs> so we can sum you... that up just with the right. word speedo, right? Like... speedo, exactly. <laughs> I think we both bounced off that pretty damn hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it's just resisting the reckoning. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have a difficult time naming emotions, I think mm-hmm. it's it's just easier to say I'm fine or I'm not. Like, I'm fine or I'm mm-hmm. pissed off. Like, I can just, like, right. maybe that's enough. Um, mm-hmm. So expanding my emotional capacity <laughs> or just yes. expanding the awareness uh, to mm-hmm. stop thinking about what I'm thinking and think about what I'm feeling. I resisted that a lot because I don't want to. Um, I don't want to. I, <laughs> I just don't want to. <laughs> it's just so fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I bounced off this whole thing. I just like my notes are nothing but the F word through the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, how How is this useful to me, Dr. Brown? How does this help me? You know, so I think that for me that my challenge was and I mean, honestly, like I'm like, oh, you know, what's the most generous thing I can do here? But mm-hmm. uh, let's face it, like she was sharing something 
really vulnerable, you know, personal, something mm-hmm. that she, you know, she shared to help us. Right. <laughs> and I think that, you know, like her, her, what's the most generous story that I could tell here? Like I could tell a very generous story about Brene Brown in this yes. chapter, you know, and I Absolutely. think that like, that was the thing that I was resisting with the people in my life. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that I, you know, because Brene Brown is not somebody I'm invested in loving. I just love her because I love her. Like, but I, I don't lose anything if she isn't what she seems to be, you know, so like right. telling a generous story about Brene Brown does not hurt me the way that my generous stories about people that I have loved dearly um, have hurt me in the past. So mm-hmm. being able to tell a generous story about Brene Brown in in this moment in this very challenging you know reading I think is is helping me kind of connect the dots between how to tell a generous story that is appropriate and how to how to not tell a generous story that hurts you, you and know? don't forget that you can tell a generous story about yourself I can do that will I I don't know tune in next week let's tune see in next I'm week and find progress. out <laughs> <laughs> it could be something tiny it doesn't have something to be big tiny. And it doesn't have to be connected to any of the big, you know, bad people. It's just something Mm -hmm. small for yourself. So so speaking of our homework, what is Mm -hmm. your yes? What is your action this week? What are you going to do? (laughs) What I have in my notes is drink. Drink a lot. Drink some more (laughs) than pass out. bad at assigning homework I have discovered that that as for someone who who likes to take action like when we're talking about these things Mm -hmm. I go completely blank when I think okay so here are all the things that I've that have challenged me I can do that here's the thing that I thought was really cool I can do that when it comes to figuring out what action I'm going to take how I'm going to put my shoulder into act two, how I'm going to put my shoulder into day two and nudge it ever so slightly forward. I come up with a complete blank. All I got is drink alcohol. I don't think that's going to do it. (laughs) No, probably not. So, yeah, but I I think the actions that you take are Mm -hmm. monumental. I mean, you, you are a woman who acts, you wake up and think, I'm going to start a company and you start a company. Like it's, yeah, I had it launched by that afternoon. I seriously right? hadn't thought about it. Like I just yeah. got up, I designed the website, I bought the thing and I just right. launched and it like by that afternoon. And like you do the thing. Insane. Right? And, and you do it on a large scale. And so I think mm-hmm. your homework is going to be a very small scale. Um, That's where just, I have trouble. Yeah. You know, so I would is, just say. small thing? Yeah. Right, shitty, keep doing the shitty first drafts. Keep throughout doing the, the shitty week. first drafts. And, and okay. just, but only for yourself. Mm-hmm. They don't get published. They're I not for anyone publish else. Publish them. Mm-mm. That's no fun. Yeah, no, because <laughs> you just have to be real honest. <laughs> oh, uh, God. But I, I think that. So maybe, you know, try for one shitty first draft this week. If you do more, that's mm-hmm. great. But try for one mm-hmm. and try okay. for one generous story about yourself. And one generous story. Okay. Well, and if you want to drink be... with okay. either one of those things, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. You get a cookie. I get a stiff drink. (laughs) I want both, man. Oh, you know what? Why do they have to be mutually exclusive? You're right. You're right. No dichotomies, damn it. I want the cookie and the drink. (laughs) I don't think that's how Brene Brown meant that. (laughs) I don't think so, but you know what? I think that we have death of the author, right? We have the right to interpret her work however we want. Readers bring their own meaning. Right. Um, So I, I was struggling for homework too i love assigning homework for other people 
Um, oh, yeah, you're good I am, at that. Oh, I'm a professor. <laughs> I can assign homework all day long. So uh, I actually look to the back of the book, and there's a discussion mm-hmm. guide back there with chapter oh. uh, questions for each chapter. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the questions for chapter three is... Um, what would it look like to use the rising strong process in your life? And I thought, well, I can't go back to school. <laughs> so right. I just start small because like, I'm going to take the start small advice too. And so for me, um, I have been journaling, which is good, but mostly I'm journaling about what I think. And so I mm-hmm. think mine is just going to be journaling about how I feel and how okay. many emotions can I name? Like that's going to probably okay. be where I start. I think that's really good. I like that. Wow. We're both going to have a really tough week. (laughs) Oh, my God. I know. There will be wine, folks. There will be wine. (laughs) If there was a sarcasm sign in a podcast, I would hold it up right now when I say, this is going to be fun. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But, you know, Dr. Brown says that journaling is a way of understanding our story. So I'm going to try this. But, um, But I think it's important to remember journaling does not have to be writing words on a page. Mm-hmm. So yes. whatever form that shitty first draft takes for you is great. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what form it'll take for me this week, but I'm going to try mm-hmm. it. Okay. I think that's awesome. <laughs> so with that, each week we end with a quote, um, kind of a closing quote to, to inspire us or, or to get us thinking in a good direction for the next, for the next week. So in the spirit of journaling this week, we'll leave you with the words of William Wordsworth, who said, fill your paper with the breathings of your heart. Big Strong Yes is a chipperish media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything chipperish media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.